I'll keep greeting. It went down the wrong way. All right. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're finishing our verse-by-verse study here in this awesome book on Sunday mornings. We've come to verse 7 of Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to finish it off this morning. Page 1355, if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for your word, how beautiful and powerful it is. And Lord, I'm also so grateful for your people, my brothers, my sisters in the faith. I thank you so much for this beautiful congregation that you've put together. For bringing us all together in this community to serve you together. Lord, I pray that we would continue to serve you, that your church would be united worldwide, that every every Christian would do their part in what you've called them to do, here and all over the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian minister in all of church history. God used him in so many wonderful ways. But he could not have done all that by himself. He needed a huge team of people working with him. And he knew that. Paul was not a one-man show. In fact, there are more than 100 different Christians associated with Paul in the book of Acts and in his epistles. And every single person was important and necessary. As Paul wraps up this letter, he mentions several of his team members by name. Such a colorful cast of characters around Paul. Let's meet them this morning, shall we? And you might even find yourself in one or two of them. Look at verse 7. Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So he mentions this man named Tychicus. Tychicus lived in Ephesus when Paul was on his third missionary journey. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus. He no doubt met Tychicus, led him to the Lord, discipled him. And this man began coming with Paul on the rest of his journey. So he traveled with Paul to Jerusalem. 
And you remember in Jerusalem, Paul was arrested. He spent some time in courts for a couple of years, and then he ends up taking a ship, going all the way to the Roman Empire. And he's a prisoner in Rome. Tychicus is with him while he's a prisoner in Rome. And remember, this letter that we've been studying was written in a prison cell. Tychicus was with him. And Paul had a job for this man. Paul was sending Tychicus to the city of Colossae to give news to that local church about how things were going with Paul and then to get news from that church and to hand deliver this letter that we call Colossians to that local church. Now that was no small task. You know, it was hard getting letters and communication out. Back then we didn't have instant messaging, right? No FaceTime. All communication, all letters had to be hand-delivered. No planes, trains, automobiles. Colossae was 1,300 miles from Rome over land and sea. And Tychicus hand-delivered this letter to that church in Colossae. And when you read about Tychicus throughout his mentions in the epistles, that seems to be his main job. He also carried the letter to the Ephesians. He also carried the letter to Titus. So this guy was Paul's mailman, his public relations specialist, his news giver, and his news deliverer. Now, that probably didn't seem all that glamorous at the time. But think of it. The letters that he safeguarded and delivered make it into our New Testament, which touch lives to this very day. Paul calls him in verse 7, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Paul viewed Tychicus as a fellow servant, the letter carrier of same value as the letter writer. So I think this man sort of represents all of the different logistical and administrative functions necessary in ministry and in the body of Christ. All those logistics and errands, things that need to be done in a church, in a Christian organization, in a Christian missionary organization. So necessary, so needed, and so important. One Christian author says, there's greatness in the smallest things done for Christ. What would be the use of Paul's writing a letter if it did not get delivered? For the loss of a nail, lose a horseshoe. For the loss of a horseshoe, lose a horse. For the loss of a horse, lose a soldier. For the loss of a soldier, lose a battle. For the loss of a battle, lose a kingdom. All those little things. Tychicus was a faithful member of Paul's team. 
It says also in verse 9, he mentions a man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus will also be traveling with Tychicus back to the city of Colossae. Now, the story of Onesimus is absolutely wonderful. Onesimus was a slave. And he belonged to a man by the name of Philemon. Guess where Philemon lived? In Colossae. In fact, the church of Colossae met in the home of Philemon. Well, Onesimus was a fugitive. He was a runaway slave. In fact, he ripped off Philemon, ripped off the household. He was a criminal, a runaway slave, a fugitive on the run. Somehow this guy ends up 1,300 miles away in Rome and crosses path with the Apostle Paul. Perhaps they got acquainted in prison together. I don't know. Maybe he was in the same cell or in a cell next to, to Paul. Paul led that runaway slave to Christ. He became a brand new creation in Christ. And then Paul learns of the connection back to Colossae. And says, Onesimus, you need to go back and make things right. By the way, the letter called Philemon is also in our New Testament. And Paul wrote that letter to Philemon to speak of Onesimus and how I'm sending him back. And if he owes you anything, charge it to my account, Paul says. But receive him back. What a story. Onesimus represents that person in the church who lived an excessive life of sin in the past, but who's been saved radically to serve Christ beautifully. There are many, many folks in the church whom God has redeemed out of a terrible past. Drug addiction, prison, all these different dark places. And God redeems those people and then brings them into his church, puts them on his team and uses them. Listen, if you sit here this morning thinking that you've been way too bad in your past to be used by the Lord, perish the thought. The Lord Jesus will take you, save you, clean you up, make up for lost time. A fugitive, criminal, runaway slave. Saved and made very useful in the kingdom of God. All right, let's meet a few more. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you receive instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, Messianic Jews. They've proved to be a comfort to me. So Aristarchus, this is an interesting guy. He's got an interesting story. He lived in the city of Thessalonica. Paul ran into this guy again on his third missionary journey, led Aristarchus to Christ, probably discipled him a bit. Aristarchus begins 
going with Paul on his journeys. He accompanies Paul to Ephesus, and he's there for a couple years with Paul. According to Acts chapter 19, a huge riot broke out in Ephesus against Paul and the Christian community there. And Paul was about to be thrown in jail. Aristarchus covered for Paul and went to jail on Paul's behalf, and then Paul escaped. After he gets out of jail, he rejoins Paul in Jerusalem, who has been taken prisoner. Aristarchus got in prison right there along with Paul. They went on the ship all the way from Caesarea to Rome. As I said, Paul is a prisoner in Rome. And in verse 10, Paul calls Aristarchus my fellow prisoner. Aristarchus, my fellow jailbird for Christ, sends you greetings. So every time you meet Aristarchus in the New Testament, he's either in jail on account of Paul or in jail with Paul. This is a man that suffered with God's people. Willing to do whatever it would take. In fact, according to church tradition, as many of you know, Paul was martyred at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero, along with Aristarchus. He paid the highest price. Aristarchus reminds us that um, Christian ministry is dangerous. It requires commitment, sacrifice, and dedication. And the church needs a lot of people like Aristarchus who are willing to pay the price for the advancement of the gospel. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, is mentioned in verse 10. Now, this guy also goes as John Mark, and you should be stunned to find his name listed there. It is absolutely incredible that Paul lists John Mark. You want to know why? Because they had a huge falling out. They split company at one point. When Paul went on his first missionary journey, he went with Barnabas and Barnabas said, Hey, can I take my cousin, little John Mark? So John Mark comes along. About halfway into that missionary journey, John Mark abandoned the team. He left Paul and Barnabas. He went home to mommy. He couldn't handle it. He dropped the ball. He failed big time. Paul was extremely upset about that because they were relying on John Mark for all kinds of help on that first missionary journey. So later they go on a second missionary journey. Paul says, let's go to Barnabas. And Barnabas says, can I take my cousin, John Mark? And Paul said, absolutely not. That man is not going with me again. He failed me. Barnabas goes, give him a second chance. Paul says, absolutely not. Give him a second chance. No, they split. Paul said, fine, I'm bringing Silas. Paul and Silas went on their second journey. 
Barnabas and John went off on their missionary journey. Now that's something you need to, to, to be aware of when you get involved in Christian ministry and when you're on the team. You will see ugly things. You will see splits. You will, see, you will deal with people who have strong personalities and issues. And it can be tough. And don't let that take you off guard. It happened even in Team Paul. But here we are 12 years later. And who's with Paul in that prison in Rome? John Mark. And Paul even says, you know, I'm going to send John Mark to your place. Receive him. In the last letter that Paul writes, he says this. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. There was a healing. There was a restoration. It's so beautiful. John represents the guy on the team who failed the first time. There's no doubt he failed. He blew it. But he didn't give up, and he kept going. And later on, he reconciles with Paul. By the way, did you know that John Mark is the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark in the New Testament? John Mark, the missionary dropout becomes St. Mark, the writer of the gospel. What profound encouragement we find in the life of John Mark, past failure, even rejection, does not prevent present usability. You can come back from disgrace. Not only that, you can become immensely useful to Christ. Even a shirker can become a major worker in the gospel enterprise. Maybe there was a time in your life where you got real involved in a church and you wanted to be a part of ministry and you bombed. You failed. It was a terrible experience. Or maybe you faced some kind of ugly situation in a church, a personality issue or rejection or something like that. And you dropped off. Can I encourage you to get back on the team And begin serving the Christ the way you know you should. Listen, there are tough things that happen, but we're still all called to work through it. And eventually get back on that field and start serving the Lord. John Mark's testimony and his reconciliation back to Paul show that to be true. Beautiful story. Verse 11, Jesus, who is called justice, is mentioned. Now, this is the only time that this particular justice is mentioned. Jesus, who's called justice. This is all we know. All we know about this guy is his name and that Paul called him a fellow worker. We don't know what he did, we don't know what he said. We don't know any specifics at all of what he did in the ministry. He's the unknown. 
And I believe that he represents all the unknowns in the Lord's service. Those myriads of believers, ordinary people, faithfully working behind the scenes. Oh, nobody knows their name. Nobody's going to write a book about them. They're not going to get any accolades in the church. Just the army of servants who work so faithfully behind the scenes. Listen, God knows your name. The Lord sees what his people do. And there is a great place for every one of us. And you don't need the notoriety. You don't need all the attention. You can just quietly serve the Lord in so many ways behind the scenes. And it's so important. Jesus called justice. A great, great man of God, though we know nothing about him. Let's meet another guy in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So, Epaphras, we met him at our first study in the book of Colossians. Remember, this is the guy who pioneered and planted the church in Colossae and pastored the church in Colossae. Remember, he and his good friend Philemon, they lived in the Lycus River Valley, where you have Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis. It's about 100 miles from Ephesus. Paul spent several years in Ephesus. These two guys were businessmen. They traveled to Ephesus. They met Paul. They got saved. They got discipled. Eventually, they went back to their home. And they planted brand new churches in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. And Epaphras was the pastor serving. Now, why was he with Paul 1,300 miles away in Rome? Because he faced some real challenges as a pastor. And he sought to literally get face-to-face with Paul to get some of these questions answered. And it was from that interaction between Paul and Epaphras that this letter actually got written. So he went to find out how to become a better pastor. And Paul says, look, your pastor here is praying for you. He loves you. He's got zeal for you. He'll be back. So Epaphras represents visible leadership. Yeah, there's a whole army of unknowns. But there are also people called to plant churches, to pastor, to hit the mission field, to be leadership. And Epaphras did that so well. And the church is always in need. If God has called you, if God has gifted you in those ways, man, step forward. 
and take your spot. If God's called you to be visible, to be a leader in a church, in a mission organization, in a Christian organization. Epaphras. Two more guys mentioned in verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke. Luke was probably the most highly educated, well-connected, most wealthy member of Paul's team. He was in the upper class. He was a medical doctor. Medical doctors were just as prestigious back then as they are today. There's no doubt that he had a strong medical practice somewhere where he was blessing people as a doctor. But eventually, Luke got saved, joined Paul, and began to use a lot of his medical skill on the mission field. He would travel with Paul. Paul, as you know, had several health issues. We're not sure exactly what all they were, but he had this doctor, Dr. Luke, traveling with him. Dr. Luke is with him in Rome while he's in prison, no doubt looking after some of Paul's medical issues. We know that Dr. Luke was with Paul when he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And on the island of Malta, a lot of people got healed, some miraculously by the miraculous touch of God, and others through the skill of Luke, the beloved physician. We also know that Luke was a brilliant historian, writer, and researcher. In fact, Luke wrote two books in the New Testament. Can you think of one at least? The Gospel of Luke, right? which is this comprehensive, well-researched, documentary record of what happened. He also wrote the book of Acts, which chronicles all the details of how the church grew and blossomed. Brilliant intellect, professional, used by God. In so many wonderful ways. I got to tell you, I am thankful for highly educated Christians who walk in that sector. I am grateful for the intellects, the great minds of Christian men and women who are apologists. I'm glad we had a C.S. Lewis on our side, don't you? And some of the great apologists. By the way, Paul was a highly educated man as well. Trained as the rabbi. God uses those people. And there are so, there is so much opportunity for professionals in Christian ministry. The church needs lawyers, doctors, financial experts, scholars, scientists, engineers, physicists, PhDs. And I just want to encourage you, if God has blessed you with that, you are big time accountable to God is how you're going to use that in advancing the kingdom of heaven. Dr. Luke, 
May he be a great encouragement to you. Demas, verse 14. Now this is, this is the sad case on the list this morning. Demas. We know that Demas would eventually depart the faith. He'd abandon the mission field. He abandoned Paul. We know that because in Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes these words. Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. He fell off. Demas left the ministry. He separated from Paul, not just physically, but also spiritually. The world took him out. He got all caught up in the things of the world. This wasn't something that happened overnight. It was a process in his life. Demas is mentioned three times in the scripture. At one point, he's called a fellow laborer of Paul. Here... Just Demas. And in the end, Demas, the one who forsake the faith. He left. So that's another thing that you're going to see if you get involved in Christian ministry. I hate to tell you that, but let's be real. There are going to be men and women along the way that you admire that will depart. Some will fall away. That's something that you see. There's warnings of that all over the New Testament. There are some that profess to be Christians and even seem to rise to leadership in the church, but eventually they might fall away. Listen, don't be discouraged by that. There's a much, much greater majority of Christian men and women that serve Christ faithfully. Amen? All the way through their lives. And you keep your eyes on them. And let Demas be a warning to you. You get on the team, you want to serve Christ, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Protect yourself. Make sure that you're growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John Corson said this. He said, the Christian life is like a steam locomotive. When you're first saved and on fire, you stoke the boiler with the word. You come to church, you're involved in ministry, you're moving along in your faith. But there can come a time when you start to think, hey, I'm cruising along fine. I don't need this fire so fervently. I don't need to study scripture so consistently. I don't need to have devotions daily. I don't need to go to church regularly because, look, I'm moving. But once the fire stops being fed, the engine starts slowing down imperceptibly. The train keeps moving down the tracks for a time, and everything appears to be going fine. But little by little, the engine goes slower and slower until finally it stops dead in its tracks. You might be able to go weeks, months, even years on the momentum you gained in the early days. But if you don't continue to feed the fire, eventually you'll stop altogether. And like Demas, you'll say, what happened? How did I end up here? Keep that fire burning. 
no matter how long you've been a Christian, don't neglect the basics of Christian growth. Stay strong. Verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So this gives you another little insight. All these different local churches. Paul writes this letter to the church of Colossae. Tychicus and Onemesis. They're going to take it. They arrive in Colossae. They're to read it to the church in Colossae. Then they're to go to the church in Laodicea. Read it there. No doubt then they take it to Hierapolis. And they read it there. The circular letter writing of Paul the Apostle. That made its way through all the different local churches all over the ancient world. All passed on by people. All shared and read. Paul says, greet Nymphus and the church that meets in his house. So Philemon hosted the church in the city of Colossae. Nymphus hosted the church in the city of Laodicea in his house. Hospitality, huge part of Team Paul. Men and women of God who are willing to open their homes for Bible studies, for house churches, for all of these different things, all of that, so very, very necessary. Now, you might have seen some notes in your Bible. You'll notice a note. Nymphus could also be nympha. And the his could be her. So Paul could be speaking to a woman who opened her house to host the church in Laodicea. Which I think is most likely, I think that's the most likely interpretation. So my sisters in Christ, maybe you're thinking, you're talking about a lot of guys today. Well, that's the context here. Mostly guys are mentioned. But listen. Women were a big part of Team Paul. Paul mentions several of them. Lydia of Philippi, the businesswoman, wealthy, amazing woman of God, gets saved. The church in Philippi, which, by the way, was the first church in Europe, met in the house of Lydia. Possibly Nymphus here, Nympha here. He also mentions Aquila and Priscilla. That was a dynamic married couple who worked together, sharing the gospel. He talks about Phoebe and Junia and many, many others, no doubt, that Paul worked with. All those folks, male or female, so important. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So Archippus, 
Most Bible scholars believe that this was a very young man in Colossae who was chosen to be the pastor at the church in Colossae while Epaphras was away. A young guy. Just getting started in the ministry. Paul says to him, Archippus, you take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. You might be intimidated, you might be young, but you go for it. Just like he told Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you set an example for the saints in faith and love and purity. Young person, you set the example. Young people, young men and women. Needed. In Christian ministry. We get another, I think, wonderful detail from the letter of Philemon. So Philemon was married. His wife was named Aphia. Archippus is mentioned in Philema. Philemon, the, the letter, as being the pastor, that's where we get this information. And it is thought that Archippus was the son to Philemon and Aphia. So I want you to think about that. You got this beautiful church meeting in the house that belongs to Philemon and Aphia and their son is the pastor. There is nothing more beautiful than watching a family serve Christ together. Watching a married couple serve Christ together. And there are so many opportunities for you to do that in the church. So, what a colorful cast. Look at everyone. They come from all these different walks of life. Where do you fit? And we've just touched on ten, hundreds. Where do you fit? Are you the logistical person? Are you the one that's real content doing everything behind the scenes? Are you the one that God has called to a more visible role? Are you the logistical person? Are you the professional? If you are a born-again Christian, you're on the team. And every local church has a team. And every Christian missionary organization or Christian organization has a team. And I would just ask you, have you found your place on the team? Are you serving? What Paul said to Archippus, I think could be said to each and every one of us here this morning. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. That you may fulfill it. What ministry? And you know what else, my brothers and sisters in Christ? We must always maintain that team mentality. 
as we're serving Christ. Remember, nobody's a one-man show. No one. And everything we do, we do together, respectfully, loving one another, making sure that we're coordinating and walking in unity with one another. Let's close by asking the Lord to help us with that. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all that you do in our life, and we thank you that you desire us to spend our lives serving you, telling others about you, living for you. Lord, thank you for putting us in a family, putting us on a team. I pray that we would all find that place and serve faithfully. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're a born again Christian, you're on the team, but perhaps you're here this morning and you have not yet joined the team. There's only one way to join the team. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Who left heaven. The Son of God left heaven, became man. Died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again that third day. Salvation comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every member of God's team is a sinner saved by grace. Would you like to join the team this morning? If so, I want to invite you right now to put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Ask him to be your savior. Ask him to save you, to wash away all of your sins. Invite him into your heart and life. Let him change you. Let him take over. And then, oh, let him use you for his glory. So if that's you, just right where you're right where you're sitting, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, cry out to God, say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want to be in, in your family, a citizen in your kingdom. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, paying the price for my sin. Wash away all my sins. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Change my life this day forever. And help me to live my life 
serving you in whatever capacity you call me to. In Jesus' name, amen.